are in the book of James. James is probably my favorite book of the whole Bible. I, it's because it's not, it's not theologically deep. It's not, you don't have to be a rocket science to figure it out. It's really a practical book. It's the, it's the Proverbs of the New Testament. And, 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 and it's all about real faith. If you're, a, if you're not a believer, this is what real faith ought to look like. If you are a believer, this is what real faith ought to look like. And, and he says, uh, real faith endures trials. It doesn't wilt under it, but it knows that the testing of his faith develops perseverance. Real faith uh, strive, or, or, or fights temptation. It doesn't give in to it, but it wants to honor the Lord. Real faith does the word. Real faith doesn't show favoritism. Real faith is revealed by good works. Real faith controls his tongue. Real faith keeps the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Real faith does not slander and does not judge. Let's read it. James chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. And, and, and if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, slander means don't say, repeat, listen to a false statement that harms another person's reputation. Slandering is passing along info that is hurtful or could cause damage to somebody's character or integrity. Slander is often started by phrases like, I heard she left him because he had an affair. It's slander. You've heard, you don't know the facts, and even if you did know the facts, that would not be good information to pass along. But when you don't, when you don't know all that's going on, you're slandering. I bet if they love Jesus more, the, the, these things wouldn't be happening in their life. Again, the key phrase is, I bet. You don't know. You're just, you're just assuming. You're presumptuous. You're, you're slandering. You know why their son rebelled? It's probably because they didn't, they didn't connect enough when he was a teenager with him. And again, at, at slander, it's probably, it's, it, it's, it's, it's making a judgment without knowing all the facts. And James says, hey, don't do that. You, wanna, you, wanna be a real, you want real faith? Real faith does not slander. It keeps guard over the doors of his lips. It doesn't tear down. It builds up. It doesn't destroy. It, it, it tries to bring about the best in people. Anyone who speaks against his brother slanders him or judges him. Again, if you want to define judge, it means to condemn or conclude or determine to call into question until all the facts, all the evidence is sifted through and both parties have been interviewed. So it's a, again, it's just an assumption. It's a, it's a rush to judgment. You, you don't do that. Don't slander. Don't judge because you speak against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting on judgment on it. He goes on to say, there is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you? Who am I? to judge your neighbor. And so, again, uh, James is trying to give us some practical things of what, what it'll look like and how, how Christians behave and act and talk and think and, and respond. But before I get into judging the wrong way, we, we, this might be, you know that verse that says, judge not lest you be judged? It might be the most misapplied, misunderstood, and misinterpreted scripture, maybe in all the scripture. Because we, we have, we've allowed that verse to keep us from holding people accountable. Our, our, we've allowed it to, to bring on this tolerance of whatever. Here, let me give you some examples. There was a church in Oklahoma where a couple were living in immorality. 
They were living one, with one another outside of marriage. They weren't just coming to church. They just weren't seekers. They were committed to the life of the body. They were involved in ministry. They connected themselves to, to all that was going on. They, they wanted a, 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 a key place. And the pastor said, you can't, you can't live like that. You can't do that and be a part of the church. We don't care. We're going to do what we're going to do. Don't judge me unless you want to be judged. And so the pastor, according to scripture, and I'm going to break it down for you and show it, he asked them to leave the church, and they went on to sue him, sue the church, and sue the denomination. And, and it went on these talk shows, and the, and, the, and the title of the talk show was, Don't Judge Lest You Be Judged. There, there's, there's been other cases where if your daughter brings home a boy, and here's, he's un, I mean, he doesn't want anything to do with God, he's rebellious, he's, he's, he's uh, just disobedient, he's ungodly, and you say, hey, baby, I love you, and you're not going to date that boy. He, he's not the one for you. And often our teenagers will say, well, who, who died and made you judge? Judge not lest you be judged. Get Mom, dad, you're not even acting like a real Christian. Are, is this what James is telling me? Is James telling me I can't tell my daughter who she can date? And, and that's not what James, look, you don't, Baby, you live in my house. You abide by my rules. I don't like that boy. He's not welcome here until he falls in love with Jesus and starts honoring the Lord and respecting authority. You will not be dating him. I don't care what you judge. I don't care what you say or what you think or how you feel because I, I care more about you. But they'll, they'll want to use that stuff. Or what about the, maybe I've got a friend and I can tell that he's, he's kind of disconnected from the Lord. And at one time he was on fire from God, but he's disconnected from his family. And I can tell he's walking on a path that he don't want to walk. And, and I go, buddy, man, I just, you know, I'm just a little concerned about you. I'm worried about you. You, you just don't look like you. Well, hey, what, who do you think you are trying to point out my sin? You just need to get the speck out of your eye before you even talk to me about the log in my own eye. And, and we can get defenses. And, and, and there are some times in Scripture where it's very clear that we have to judge, that we have to hold accountable, that we, we this idea of tolerance and full acceptance and, and that we can't push our beliefs on others and, and we can't say anything about others, it's, it's not accurate. It's not right. Here's three times in Scripture where we have the right to judge. Number one, when it comes to discernment. When I'm trying to figure out if this guy is legit or not, if this idea is right or not. And here's, here's what the, the John said. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. How many know there's a lot of spirits out there today? And I don't mean like there are. I mean, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But when I mean spirits here, these, these ideologies or practices or philosophies, there's all these things that people are trying to, that they're trying to push on us and trying to, this, uh, this, you know, this idea of secularism where it's all about me and, and, and I just, if it feels good, do it. And, and I'm my own God and I can do my own thing. Hey, you got to be able to test that. And how do you, how do you test it unless you, unless you judge it? But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets 
have gone into the world. Just because somebody holds up a Bible doesn't mean they're a, they're a follower or a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. There, there are a lot of guys, including one pastor in the Midwest, who's taken on this inclusive gospel. A guy that believed that by grace you were saved at one time, but now he's flipped and said, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you think. There are many ways to God. There's just different paths to get there. And, and, and that's the gospel of Jesus. That's a false spirit. That's a false prophet. There's one way to God, and it goes through the cross of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And we've got to be able to discern that and decide that. And, and, and there has to be, uh, at times, there has to be a judgment made. Watch out for false prophets. As the end times increase, and, and as we get and become more secular and become more irreligious and become more distant from God, we've got to be on our guard. We've got to be on alert. We've got to be, our discernment has to be at a high level because they'll come to you in sheep's clothing. It looks good. It sounds good. It must be good. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So, so as a, I mean, you can use it in many applications, but, but if a pastor, if a preacher, if a teacher stands before you, there's got to be some discernment concerning his life and concerning his words. Again, just because somebody has a Bible doesn't mean they're, they're, uh, they're, they, have the, they have the spirit of Christ and they're, they're trying to communicate the word of God. You just be, they, hey, it's not my job nor any other preachers to excuse the word, to justify the word, or make light of the word. It's our job to study the word, to teach the word, and to live the word. And if we don't, if we, and if we as believers don't, don't line up their teaching with the word of God, then, then we are at a miss and we are, it could potentially in a mess. So when it comes to, to discernment, is this the real from the fake? Is this the genuine from the plastic? Is this, is this the real deal? I've got to be able to discern. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about methods or even styles. Those, those things you don't judge. That, that, those things, they're, they're, they don't matter. It's just personal preference. I'm talking about does it align with the word of God or not? Does it align with, with God's word? We, we can wrestle over certain things and some things, and we can disagree and still be in agreement. But there are some things we cannot disagree about and still be in agreement. We cannot disagree that Jesus is the only way to God. We can't disagree that he shed his blood on the cross for forgiveness of my sins. We can't, we can't disagree on the fact that he lived and died and rose on the third day. We can't disagree on the fact that he sent his Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our instructor and our empower. We can't disagree on the fact that he's coming back. Now, we can disagree on how and when and what, but he's coming back. And he's coming back for people that have bought into him and are sold out to him and living for him. Don't believe every every spirit. You got to be able to discern. Here's another case in, when concerning discipleship. 
Let me give you the verse, and then I'll try to talk about it. Amen. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. Say that. Gently. And, and, and here, you got to take it in context. This gives some people this. There are some people that they think it's their spiritual gift to point out the wrong in everybody else. And that's not what, that's not what Paul's talking about. And so you can take this and run with it, and you can just cause a mess. He's talking, about, he's talking about there's somebody, what I just said, somebody that you're connected to relationally, that you, that you have an investment in their life, that you are doing life together. And this is why I think small groups are so vital. We weren't meant to do Christianity in isolation. We were meant to live it out practically in the context of relationships and communities because it's not just a catchphrase. We are better together because I have blind spots. I have things that I don't see. And if I don't have some brothers that that I have given the right to speak into my life to say, hey, hey, Stan, you're headed down a wrong path. You're going down the wrong direction. You better realign yourself. You better get right. Then, Then I am, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we have used this verse, don't judge lest you be judged, to, to, to disengage when it comes to maturity and growing and walking in Christ. Don't talk to me about my giving. Don't talk to me about my, my devotion life. Don't talk to me about my character. Because who are you to judge me and who are you to talk to me? And it's causing a bunch of independent unaccountable believers that aren't growing, that aren't maturing, that aren't fulfilling their destiny and reaching their potential. There, there has to become a time in the, in, the, in the context of discipleship where we can look at one another and not nitpicking and not, not uh, arrogantly are prideful, but in humility, love, and respect and gentleness come alongside to encourage and to exhort and potentially confront if need be. It's the story of David and Nathan. David had sinned greatly against God himself and against others. And when you look at the story up until the point of Nathan, there was some inner turmoil and inner unrest, but there had been no repentance from David. And Nathan, a brother in the Lord who knew him well and loved him, loved him like a, like a real brother and who served him humbly, came to him and said, David, what have you done? What, what are you thinking? You, you can't live like this. You can't act like this. It was at that point David understood. It was like the light came on when another brother, and, I, and, and a kudos to David for allowing himself to be open, and kudos to Nathan for being, having the courage to speak into. And I think David's life, I mean, he still had to have the effects of sin and the effects of adultery, and he still had to deal with a lot of the consequences but I think Nathan saved him from a lot of harm and a lot of un, un, unneeded pain and necessary strain. And maybe from, uh, maybe from a right relationship with God altogether because he was able to, able to make a judgment concerning David and speak into his life gently and, and, and courageously. Here's another thing where it's okay to judge. In, in the case of discipline, and we don't do this very well. This church doesn't, nor probably... There's very few churches because, again, it's, it's, it's grace, it's love. And, man, I'm all about that. Listen to my messages. If this is your first time, we're all about grace. This is the grace place. This is a place of new beginnings and fresh starts. And God is all about your future, not your past. But, but in, in light of this, this tolerance mentality and this 
over, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's an overemphasis on grace, but just this desire not to appear ungracious, we, we, we don't confront sin. We don't talk about it. We, and, and, and we, well, well, it's none of your business anyway. It is. Because it's in the context of community. It's in the context of the church. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And you've been grafted into a body of believers. And I think we've watered down the true impact of the church and the, and the true meaning. It's not just somewhere you come on Sunday morning to listen to some worship and hear some guy scream and spit. And I'm spitting today bad. And I forgive me, front row. I mean, I just... Just forgive me, right? It's a place that you're connected to, that you're a part of, where you grow and where you serve and where you build relationships and make friendships. And one of the weaknesses of the church today is because people don't see it's va- Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we want to live individualistic and do our own thing and just come on a Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. That's not the church. The church is when you're together and you're right. And in the church, there needs at times for the good of the church, for the good of the person, for the good of the rest of the members, that there be discipline. Listen to Paul, what he said. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Again, amongst the church, amongst those that have connected themselves to Christ and to one another. And that kind even the pagans don't tolerate. So something is so bad, those outside the church are going, wow, man, those are some immoral people. And what is that? A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So some kid is sleeping with his stepmom. And you're, you're proud about it. Well, it's the grace place, man. We're just all about inclusiveness. And, and who are we to judge him? And who are we to talk about him? We've got issues ourselves. We're just all, and it's okay. It's all right. Shouldn't you rather have gone in the morning? This is serious. Don't play with this mess, Paul is saying, and have put out your fellowship, the man who has been doing it. That sounds terrible. You mean you want to kick him out of the church? For my part, even though I'm not with you physically, Paul is saying this, I am with you in spirit. I'm there, man. I planted this church. I prayed for this church, he's saying. I'm I'm for this church. I've preached to this church, and I'm not with you right there, but I'm thinking about you. I'm with you in spirit, and as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, when you get back together, when you have your meeting, when when you rally the church, know I'm there but more importantly than me, the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan. Man, that sounds harsh. That's a, that, that doesn't even sound right for the destruction of what? His flesh. Not his spirit. See, Paul, Paul cares so much about the forever that he's willing to deal with the now in a harsh way. He's willing to say, hey, man, what you're doing is wrong, and your flesh is going to lead you to destruction. So I'm going to deal with that flesh. I'm going to kick you out of the church. Maybe you'll get out there. Your heart will soften. Your mind will change. And I don't want to lose your spirit. So you got to go so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. We don't do this well. Again, I don't write the word. I just got to preach the word. And by God's grace, I got to have 
we have got the courage to, to fulfill the word and to follow the word, not just in this area, in every area. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, are the greedy and swindlers, are the idolaters. In that case, you have to leave this world. I'm talking to you about it. you got to judge that guy, but not people outside the church. They don't have the spirit of God. They don't know better. Just love them, witness to them, encourage them, accept them. I mean, help them, pray for them. Because you're going to be around those kind of people. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. Again, who has connected themselves with the life of the church. But it's sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slanderer. So it's just not sexual immorality. You got to gossip in the church, and they're, they're supposed to be a part. Man, they got to be confronted. They got to be dealt with. You got a drunkard. And I'm not talking about a guy that's struggling with, with talking or struggling with drinking or struggling with, with immorality for that. No, I'm talking about a guy that says, I don't care. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to sleep with who I want to sleep with. I'm going to drink what I want to drink. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care about anything else. There's no brokenness. There's no repentance. There's no even idea that this could be wrong. That person has to be dealt, dealt with according to Paul. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, rhetorical question, I have no business doing that. Not my job. Not, not, shouldn't even be my thinking. But are you not to judge those inside? Again, rhetorical question. And from the context of what Paul just said, he, he's saying absolutely. God will judge those outside, but we must expel the wicked person from among us. Again, so his flesh might be crucified and his spirit might live. So in in case of discipleship, there are times where, I mean, in case of discipline, there are times when we have got to, we have got to make a judgment for the, good of the, for, the good of the, for the good of the person that's in sin. Maybe they'll come to their senses. For the good of the, for the, good of the, the rest of the believers, Paul says that, that sin, what's not taken care of, is like yeast in a pot of dough. It just swells and it, and it affects and it hurts for the, for the sake of the world. I mean, the world, we got to be different. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Here, here's how Jesus said it. You're the salt of the earth. What does salt does? It preserves. It adds flavor. It, 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 it helps. But if, if the salt loses its saltiness, if it looks like the pepper, if it, if it acts like everything else, if there's no difference in it, if there's no change agent in it, how can it be made salty again? And I'll tell you, the, the cry against the world to the church is we're a bunch of judgmental, pharisaical hypocrites. That we tell them not to do something, but we're doing the same thing. And I'm not talking about living with some pious, holier-than-thou attitude. But there's got to be a standard for us to make an end. We can't be like them and, and make a difference. The only way you can make a difference is to be different. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Okay, so when can I judge? Or when, when, that's when you can judge. Discipleship, discernment, discipline. When is it wrong to judge? What is James condemning? What is James against? Well, the first thing is when you do it with a critical spirit. 
And this is what he's really opposing. This is what he's really coming against, and he's coming against it hard. A critical spirit is one that's always nitpicking. It's an attitude that's always digging and searching for faults, always suspecting the worst in people. A critical spirit thinks their way is the only way. It's wrong, and stop it. It's like probably not as prevalent now, but a few years ago, church were splitting over to homeschool or not homeschool. Homeschool or public school. People all in arms and fighting and feuding. And, and here's the homeschooler. Here's their case. Well, you can't send your kid into that cesspool. They, they, they have no business being out there. It's the responsibility of the parent to raise the child. And, and if you do that, you're not, you're not walking in real faith or real obedience. And the public school parent was, well, who, who do you, you don't even have a stinking degree. What are, what are you trying to do? And you're just protecting your kids, and, and you're hovering over them. And when they get in the world, they're really going to be in for a rude awakening, and they're never going to make it. And this and this, just this back and forth and judging and critical. Man, that, that should not be. If I want to homeschool my kids, it's my conviction. It's my right. It's my preferred preference. That's what I want to do. And don't judge me for doing it. If I want to send my kid to public school, it's my, it's my conviction. I've prayed about it. I've thought about it. That's the best place for them at this season in their life or for whatever. See, don't judge me. That's what James is condemning. This back and forth and backbiting over things that that, that, that are really their preferences. They're not black and white. They're not, they're not. It's just this critical, this critical spirit. I love, one of my heroes is Rick Warren. And I don't, you know, again, I don't, I don't, you might have a disagreeing opinion of him. We, we, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which I think is one of the best books for new believers. And for any of us, really, it's just a great, great book. And, and, and we did that. It's been several years. I mean, like 12 years ago. We had people leave the church because we talked about the purpose-driven life. They, they, they said Rick Warren is a heretic. He, he's the, he, he, the antichrist. That, that he is a sheep in wolf's clothing. That he is a manipulator and a money-hungry money preacher. And you know what they didn't know? And you say, that's crazy. Nobody did that. I'm telling you. Four or five people sending me email after email. You can't be leaving the church because we're, we're, we're reading a purpose-driven life book. They, they didn't know that, that the man lives. When he wrote that book, he became an instant millionaire. But he lives on 10% and he gives 90% away. He, he, he earned a wage from Saddleback for the first 25 years. After the book, he gave all, every penny he ever made from the church, he returned it. He has a vision to do away with poverty in Africa, and he's funding it with his own personal finances. They would send me proof that he's a manipulator and he's money hungry by sending me pictures of his building, his facilities. And I mean, they're nice. I mean, they're real nice. They've got a children's wing that's $5 million that has, a, that has an aquarium. I don't mean a couple fish. I mean an aquarium. It's nice. What they don't know is that they were in 76 rented facilities before they had their own space. They had over 10,000 people before they moved into their first building. The first four buildings they owned were tents, and they're still being used 25 years later. They must not know that they have nine-plus services every weekend. They are changing the culture of the city. They're having impact, seeing hundreds come to Jesus every week and giving millions and millions of dollars to missions every year. 
And I'm using Rick Warren as an example. But the truth is we judge people like that all the time. We make accusations and we question motives and we pass judgment without knowing the background, nor the intent, nor the reason. We base our opinion on what we think or what we assume or what we feel rather than what we know. A critical spirit is quick to draw a conclusion and make a rash judgment. It's like the man went to the hospital, had four little kids all under the age of seven, and they're pinging off the walls. They're, they're changing the TV channel. They're, they're knocking over the magazines. They're out of control. As he sits in his seat, disengaged and, and, and really is seemingly uninterested. And the people are judging him and critical of him. I can't believe a dad would do that. I, I can't believe this would, would happen like this. And they just on and on until a doctor comes out and says, sorry, sir, she didn't make it. And now all of a sudden this uninterested dad is a mourning husband. Now all of a sudden this, this father that, that wasn't doing his job is a spouse that's lost the love of his life. You know why we can't judge? Because we don't know enough. Here, let me give you some just practical information and some practical advice. Give people the benefit of the doubt. That rude person might not be rude. Maybe they're stressed over a life situation. That person that you've already perceived and already cast judgment on, that they're just callous and hard, maybe they're still reeling, the, reeling from the pain of multiple rejections. That parent that you've already, you've just declared and made it known to all your friends that they don't know how to parent, they don't know, maybe they're parenting a foster kid that's on their third placement. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you were able to, here's what the Indian proverb said, don't judge a man till you wear his moxkins for a mile. You got to, we don't know enough, therefore we can't judge. And, and if, you'll, if you'll just give people the benefit of the doubt, it, you know, I, I know some people that, I'll, somebody will say something to them. And they'll try to figure out what that meant. How are you doing this morning? What did he mean by that? Does he think I'm not doing good? Does he, what does he think? How does he know about that? What's going on? Uh, what did you mean? I mean, how you doing this morning? That's all I meant. But just give people the benefit. Try, try, quit trying to be some whatever. Am you hearing me? This is for somebody. We, we, you know what? If you'll refuse to do that, you'll, you'll protect yourself from bitterness and resentment and anger and unforgiveness and unjust judgment. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't pass judgment. Don't have a critical spirit. Here's another thing, a condemning spirit. Well, how do, how, what does that mean? It's, it's Jesus was invited by a Pharisee, Simon, into his house. And they were lounging, and they were hanging out, and they were talking about spiritual things. And un, uninvited and unexpected, some lady busts through the door with a jar of perfume, represented a, day, a, a year's wages. And she began to worship Jesus by dumping it on his feet. Simon got up from reclining, the Pharisee, and he looked down his pious nose. And, and he, it, who is that girl? If Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't even allow her in the house. It's, it, that's the condemning. It's, it's, it, you know what we con- condemning people when they look down at other people? Really, they're trying to get the attention and the focus off of them. I might be bad, but at least I'm not as bad as somebody else. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And we, and we, we use this condemning, judging to take the, take the light off of us and put it on somebody else. It's like the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector in Scripture was, a, you know, he was known as a cheat, some, 
some immoral actions that he did, some things that weren't right. He comes into the house of the Lord and all he says is, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee who thought he was above that and better than that, all he said is, at least I'm better than him. I tithe, I come, I serve, I give. I'm nothing like that guy over there. And Jesus said, it was the sinner who was repentant that left declared righteous in my sight, not the Pharisee. It's this condemning spirit. I mean, you ever watch a man watch football, watch his favorite team, and he's yet like, like they can hear him on the TV. He's yelling at the quarterback for throwing a bad pass, and he's yelling at the receivers for dropping the ball, and he's mad at the linemen for not blocking, and he's yelling at defenders, he's screaming for missing a tackle. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I think, I, I'm thinking, why are you telling them you're, you're sitting on a couch eating Fritos? And they're making millions of dollars doing what they do. And you know, you know why we do that? Because I've seen them throw the ball in the backyard, and they can't. They stink. So, so they, they condemn, and they're critical, and, they're, and they're, they're, that's what James is condemning. That's what he's saying. See, we can't judge because we don't know enough. You don't know what that person's going through. You don't know what that person's been through. You don't know what's going on in there. There, the, there is a reason why people are the way they are. And instead of being condemning and critical, why, why don't we be gracious and thoughtful? Why don't, we, why don't we try to believe the best out of them? We don't know enough, and we're not good enough. You, you, you can't be condemning because you stand condemned. You can't, you can't go around pointing everybody's faults out because... There's three fingers pointing right. When I point my finger at you, there's three more pointing right back at me. I don't know enough, and I'm not good enough. The lady caught in adultery, she was guilty. She deserved death. She was thrown at the feet of Jesus. All the men screaming, guilty. What are you going to do, God? Get rid of her. You're supposed to be the holy man. What, What do you say about this? He refused to look down at her. He didn't criticize her. He didn't condemn her. He didn't allow the mob to treat her like a piece of property. Rather, he forced her, refocused the mob on their own sin. But on the flip side, he didn't justify her behavior. It wasn't okay. It wasn't all right. But he looked at her. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Where's your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Man, that ought to be our attitude. That ought to be our heart. There comes, there are some times where we have to make a, a discernment concerning a, a, somebody we're trying to listen to or follow or, or, a, or a boy that wants to be involved with our daughter or our son that wants to, whatever. We got we to gotta be able to judge. We, we've got to, when it comes to discipleship, we better be open to people speaking in our lives and allowing allowing others to speak in and and when it comes to church discipline there is a higher standard there there is a there is some morality that's got to be lived out and practiced again i'm not talking about you struggling with it you just don't care about it's got to be dealt with but when it comes to slander and judging james says don't do it not with a critical spirit not with a condemning spirit because you don't know enough and you're not good enough amen everybody bow your heads and your hearts with me will you Here's where I want to end. The 
Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. What does that mean? God's not wanting to point out your failures and your faults. He was wanting to forgive you and give you a fresh start. Well, Pastor, I can't come to God. You don't know what I've done. Jesus knows what you've done. 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross for what you've done. And if you allow him, he'll forgive you and cleanse you and help you and fill you. But it starts with a confession. It starts with, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, I want you to lead me. If that's you today, you've, you've disconnected from God. You've walked away from God. You're, you're not serving God. You're not in relationship with Jesus. But the Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. Your heart's pounding. Your stomach's turning. That's the Spirit trying to draw you to Jesus, convince you of your need for Him. Friend, I'm telling you, life with Jesus is better. It's not easier, but it is better. And without Him, you'll spend eternity apart from Him, and you don't want that. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to encourage you. If you don't know Jesus, give Him your life today. He judged your sins so that you could have life. He judged it on the back of Jesus. This is what I do. I, I would just say, why don't you do every head's bowed, every eye shut. But if you need Jesus today, why don't you just lift both hands? It's an act of sacrifice. And, and I would just say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, I need you today. I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. I need your grace. I need you to forgive me. I need you to wash me. I need you to make me new. Lord, my hands are raised because I surrender to you. I yield to you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Lead me and help me in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for those that have done that. Lord, I thank you that you're for them and not against them. Lord, that you promised never to leave them nor forsake them. Lord, that you have a plan to prosper and not to harm them, to give them a future and a hope. And as they walk with you, will you reveal your love and your grace to them in an increasing manner? Bless them, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. In just a minute, Pastor Andrew will come back and give you some final instructions, those that made that commitment. But before he does that, will you, everybody, will you stand with me all over this auditorium? Will you stand to your feet? And, Allow the Word of God to be a mirror, will you? Allow it to reflect what's in your heart. And maybe, maybe if you're honest with God and honest with yourself, you see somewhat of a critical spirit. There's a nitpicking. There's a fault finding. It's kind of your bent, kind of your attitude. Well, it's wrong. According to the Word of God, you've been given a new bent. You've been given a new attitude. And it's one that doesn't accuse. It's one that doesn't slander. It's one that doesn't judge. Lord, forgive me for that. Will you make it a prayer if that's the case in your life? Lord, help me to keep watch over the doors of my lips. I don't want to slander. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to, I don't want to betray confidence. Lord, I, I want my tongue to build, not to tear. I want to, I want to help, not to discourage. Jesus, Holy Spirit, I can't do it on my own. I need you to change me from the inside out. Maybe your bit is to condemn and you're, again, you want to look at the faults of others. You've been given a new nature and it's not what, 
That's the work of the enemy. The enemy is the accuser of the brother. Don't join him in his work. Don't partner with him. Partner with God. Lord, forgive us for condemning. Forgive us for our pious, holier-than-thou attitudes. Lord, forgive us for looking down our nose at others when there's issues in our lives that need to be dealt with. God, help us to walk in a spirit of grace and affirmation and love. Lord, help us, if need be, gently restore a brother or sister, not not out of judgment or even what we might declare righteous anger, but God, out of love and, and out of grace and a goodness in our heart. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you, God. Will you make that your prayer? We need more of you, Father. Holy Spirit, fill us today. Not not just in those areas, for every area. We want to be set apart. We, We want to be soft. Lord, we want to be light. We want to be what you have declared and and, and compelled us to be in Jesus' name. Oh, in Jesus' name, we give you our lives. We give you everything.